Hi, I'm Damon Frank, and you're listening to The Recovered Life Show, and this is an episode of How I Did It. Every episode, I talk with someone in recovery about how they've been able to stay sober. We dive into what their life and addiction was like and what their life in sobriety is like now. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this episode is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now, let's jump into the discussion and find out how they did it. I'd like to welcome you to the show. Why don't we start out by introducing yourself, tell us your name, what addiction you suffer from, and how long you've been sober. Hello, my name is Cole Chance, and I am an alcoholic. And yeah, that's how I would identify, among other things. But um, alcohol was, was my big one. I've been sober for just over nine years now. So when you look back, when was the first time that you noticed a problem? So right when I started drinking, I knew that it, I was the girl for booze. Um, and it was the thing for me. I very clearly recall telling myself on the first night I ever drank at 13 on a starry night, uh, peppermint schnapps, that I was going to do this forever. I felt so big inside my body, like I finally filled myself out. I was showing up the way that I wanted to, the way I imagined in my life. And uh, yeah, that delusion caused some damage. <laughs> but for a long time, I didn't realize, I guess I just assumed that alcohol was like that for everyone. I couldn't figure out why, you know, life was, you know, not the only thing that we were doing was drinking. But whenever I started to realize that I was drinking differently, I guess I started to notice that other people would get tired other people like wouldn't want to. I remember I was thinking that was very bizarre. I would kind of go from group to group, you know, whoever was kind of up partying with me. But there's a very clear kind of delineation between like that's before I knew I was an alcoholic and then after because then there's always a little bit of a guilt that comes with it. Even though you or I do did my damnedest to deny it. Um, one big turning point was when – I started drinking in the mornings. I moved out of a tourist town. I used to bartend in tourist town. So everyone was drinking in the morning. It was very common to have um, mimosas, Bloody Marys before you went up on the mountain. And so it was really easy to hide. And I worked in restaurants and all of that. And people were always, we were always drinking. So it was quite easy to hide. And then I moved into another town, Santa Cruz, which is not, not a party town, but it wasn't a tourist town. So people were going to work, doing all these things, and I would want to drink in the morning, and I would shake. So I remember making this pivot of like, okay, I'm going to drink, and realizing that by myself, and knowing that no one else was doing it, and hiding it. So I kind of made this choice, and that's kind of when I knew that, okay, now I, I knew it needed to be hidden, and that was a, a, a really clear moment, um, for me. I should have known for a zillion different reasons, but I was really good at denial. Another moment that I really remember, and this is even after I think I'd been to a couple rehabs that I had read a, a book called drinking a love story by Carolyn Knapp. 
And I remember finding it in a thrift store and it was kind of like the light was just shining on the binding of the book and I picked it up and it felt eerie and I read it and I couldn't look away after that as well. That was, um, there was no denying that she was like telling my story. Those are two pivotal moments. So tell us a little bit about your life growing up. Did you have members of your family that suffered from addiction? Did you identify early on that maybe you were different from your friends and people around you? Maybe you can share a story or an experience or a memory with us about your childhood. There's one other piece that I want to share here that I think was really important. I'm surprised that I missed it. That, you know, I'm really concerned with belonging. So I, in eighth grade, I think eighth grade, yeah, find a cool older boyfriend, someone who I consider, you know, cool. He's kind of a bad kid, but a cool kid. And we had sex. And the first time that we ever had sex, I got pregnant in the back of an Agura Integra. This happened um, in a conservative town in Oklahoma, very segregated town. He was also a black boy at the time. Um, I, the whole school found out and me so concerned with what everybody thought. This was quite traumatic. Uh, kind of my world went black for a little bit. Um, I don't remember a lot of it. I do recall my father, you know, my parents being mortified, of course, you know, like from their daughter who was just fine all the time. She was fine. She was good. Straight A student sports. Like where did this come from? I'm so out of the blue. I so much shame around it. But I recall my dad taking me to get an abortion in Oklahoma. There were protesters everywhere yelling at me. Um, it was horrible. One thing I recall that is, is interesting that I remember this is like, you know, my dad, the strong, silent type, he doesn't really know how to handle me or talk to me or like this is like the most fucked up situation. Like, what do you say? And I remember him like taking me afterwards, like to TJ Maxx to buy me like a sh- something. I can't remember. Like my parents often would like buy me clothes to show me they love me or something. But I remember him taking me to TJ Maxx like afterwards, like probably just out of utter unknowing what to do and throwing up in the middle of the store, like post procedure and just being like adding that embarrassment on top of like all of it. But it's always interesting. The things that we remember, it's kind of like this thing that seems peripheral, like that extra drop in the bucket. But I just like, I really remember that and just being so mortified in TJ Maxx. What a weird memory, but I carried that with me. And like what this, after this, my parents moved me. So I already moved a lot, but now we moved and it was because of me. It was kind of the first time. And I really took that, that they were ashamed of me. And in hindsight, probably wanted me to get away from my story. But I, I, I took that so hard that they were embarrassed of me. And this ruined the relationship with my mother for, for many, many years. I took my shame and it came out as anger towards her. Like, I don't know how I wrapped or connected that story, but that's, that's what happened. It was horrible to my mother for the next, you know, 15 years. Mm. And I absorbed this story that I was bad. That I was like a bad, there was like something core wrong with me. 
And rather than holding that shame, you know, like how it came out as anger, well, it also came out as this costume and this veneer of that, like, I'm a bad kid. I'm a party kid. Like I would, then I started to like find trouble. So then I was like trying to, there's something called the wound that seeks the arrow. It's like a Buddhist parable that we have this core shame, this core story about ourselves. And then we validate it because not only are we story makers, we also like to be right. So if we believe a story, we, we seek to validate it. So my wound was that I was bad. And then I lived out that story and that trajectory of proving that my story was correct. Uh, well, it was a long and windy road almost to the end. I would love it if you could share with us what happened, you know, what happened to your life as a result of addiction? What did your life become and how did you live your life day to day? Um, what happened to my life as a result of addiction? Well, I almost lost it. Um, I almost lost all the relationships that I loved. I was a, let's see, I had to narrow down that question. I was a very severe alcoholic. My tolerance was incredibly high and I had to feed the beast all the time. So I was under current constant management of knowing where it was, having enough in my system, drinking in public, having enough to drink in private, um, making sure I had enough for the next day, um, to get through work. It was, it was time consuming. It was exhausting. It was shutting down my, um, bodily functions. I was in and out of rehab in my twenties. I didn't want to get sober. I was too young. I was partying. It was a choice. I wasn't supposed to be there. You know, all of these things, um, I would go to rehab just to feel a little bit better to get my parents off my back and then to find a way to do it better. I was obsessed with being a normal drinker, whatever the fuck that means. We're going to hear more about how they did it after this quick break. Attention all those seeking recovery. Are you looking for a supportive, welcoming place to share your experiences and find strength in your journey? Look no further than Recovered Life's recovery check-in meetings. With several meetings held throughout the week, you can choose the one that's right for you. Moderated by top recovery coaches, these meetings are open to all avenues of addiction recovery and offer a powerful opportunity for personal growth through connection with others. RSVP now by visiting recoveredlife.us and clicking on Find Your Group. Don't miss this chance to be seen and heard. Join us at Recovery Check-In and take the next step in your recovery journey. See you there. And obsessed to the point that, yeah, it almost cost me my life. I had a grand mal seizure when I was about 24 from alcohol withdrawal. Serious, serious stuff. Um, my detoxes were horrible. I would have delirium tremors, hallucinations. Normally would go to a medical detox, thankfully. Um, ended up in a Scientology rehab once that didn't believe in medical detox. And that was one of the worst experiences of my life. Highly recommend if you are high tolerance drinker and really for anyone to have supervised medical detox. Um, very dangerous. My functions began to shut down. I had impaired 
choice. Everything centered around getting more. It was fake fun. All of this stuff that I felt like I was running towards, that I was choosing, was a total illusion. It was it was really tragic. Um, my story, of course, has a ton of drugs in it as well. In the end, luckily, I started shooting heroin. <laughs> it's like a big skip forward. But in the end, um, yeah, luckily started shooting heroin and cocaine, which brought me to my knees, not for the first time, but for another time. And, you know, an overdose in that scenario finally, finally kind of broke the bubble of delusion of this, like, I'm doing this because I want to, I'm doing this because it's a choice. Like, it's just this place, these people, all of these other things that were wrong, not me. But whenever I um, yeah, had an overdose, I had a stroke. I was in, you know, just out of my sixth rehab, like a culmination of the sickness and the environment and how, you know, this used to be a glamorous party. And now it was like crack house style, hands and knees sick. I realized that this is, this is never, ever, ever going to work. I recall somebody in, a, in the, the recent treatment that I had been in asking her, she was a tech at the rehab. And I remember asking her like, what, like, how, like, how did you do it? I wasn't really wanting to do it. But I was just asking her like, how, like, I, I couldn't even fathom how I could, you know, change my whole identity. If you recall, I, I started when I was very, very young. So to imagine changing my identity this much, it was like ripping my skin off. Like I, I would, didn't even know how to separate myself from it. Like it didn't feel physically possible. But I recall her telling me that, you know, one day you're just going to realize that you can be high or you can be happy. And that even though they used to go together, they're never going to go together again. And that's kind of, I heard that whenever I was trying to self-medicate myself back from a fucking overdose. And, you know, of course, nothing was working. Um, And I thankfully heard that. And I realized that I never, I was never trying to, I was not on a death mission. I was trying to live big. I was trying to like experience and it was going in the wrong direction. I'd been lied to. And I finally surrendered. I recall one of my, one of my mini therapists prior saying like, if you could ever get stubborn in the other direction, you'd be unstoppable. And thankfully that's what happened. I called a sober living place that I had been kicked out of prior. Um, Or like hiding alcohol bottles. I forgot where I hid them around their place. They shouldn't have let me back in, but they did. Um, they told me to come on a Wednesday night and I showed up on a Tuesday with my suitcase. And I said, I'll sleep on your couch, which was the first time that I had really, you know, self propelled myself towards recovery. Everyone at that point had left me and it was like, I had nothing to do, but to do it myself. And that was really necessary for me. My life completely changed. Absolutely completely changed. In one re- in one of the treatment centers that I'd went to, um, I was introduced to yoga about five years before I got sober. It was a really powerful experience and one that I stuck in my back pocket, even though I like deliberately denied that I was going to go that route currently. 
I told myself that if I was to get sober, which I wasn't going to right now, (laughs) that thought immediately followed, but that when I did, I would look into it. And I did. And I got 30 days. (laughs) I got um, 30 days at a yoga center like 30 days for $30 or something. And I just started going every day. And prior to that, I had been intermittent going to yoga and it always was supportive. It always felt like a safe space, but it was something I couldn't commit to because I was living this double life. And once I finally, um, you know, had made this decision, I just kept coming back and kept coming back. And it really became a massive anchor for me along with meetings and therapy and all of these other things I was doing. My yoga mat was a really safe space for me to get quiet and listen to myself. Currently now, I started to teach in treatment centers. I started to go back into some of the ones that I was a student in or that I was a client in and started to teach and using my voice and using my story to share not only supported other people, which is massive, that feels great, but it reduced the shame of my own story. It was incredibly powerful. Today, I actually have a YouTube channel for the last like eight years of yoga, I put recovery videos out there. I lead international retreats. I probably traverse the globe every year, several times almost. I currently live in Australia, based have a base in Bali and Colorado. My life has really just dramatically changed. I would have never, ever, ever realized that this was even possible. You know, sometimes we you don't, we don't know what we don't know. I was completely blinded to what life could look like without booze. I didn't want it. I thought sobriety would be horrible, actually. Hmm. It's really hard to pop that bubble, that, that massive, thick denial bubble. And look, luckily, the light shined in just enough so that it could. So let's go back to your bottom, your bottom with addiction. What was going through your head the day that you decided to get sober. Did you make a decision? Was it challenging? Tell us what you were feeling and why ultimately you made that decision to try to get sober. I think I answered that last question a little bit wrong. I thought it was asking, how was my day today now? Um, so maybe you can insert this, but well, I guess I kind of already answered it. I think you can maybe just use what I did. Please tell us what you were feeling and why you made that decision. Yeah, we'll just skip this one. I think that that's wrapped up in the other. After you decided to get sober, what did you do? What actions did you take? You know, I'd love it if you could discuss your first month of sobriety. What worked for you? What didn't? For the first month of sobriety, I was on my yoga mat every day. I went, I was at a sober living house, which I I really couldn't have done it without that. I do not think I could have done it without it. I lived in many sober living houses prior to that. And I never wanted to be there. It was horrible. But at this, this time it felt like safety. It felt like, even though I remember like just everyone there was annoying. My roommates were annoying. Like I didn't really like connect with anyone, but we had this through line and this understanding that we were like trying to get through something, some really hard stuff and being seen in that way and not having to hide it was invaluable therapy. I had an excellent, excellent therapist in Austin, Texas. Um, yeah, 
those were some of the, those were some of the, probably the main things my first 30 days, but yeah, yoga was a massive through line. That was like me and mine. So there's like this outer stuff, like me and my therapist, me and my community recovery community in a way. And then there's like me and me. And that was the relationship that I needed to build. And that's what I was able to do on my yoga mat. So what's it like now, now that you're sober, tell us some things that have happened as a result of you being in recovery. Beyond getting to live the life of my freaking dreams today, like, you know, one thing that I always wanted through alcohol was I thought that I was getting freedom and I wasn't. It was a big lie that I just ate hook, line, and sinker. And today I live so much freer and I have all kinds of stuff that still comes up and that like ties me down. And there's so many things in between me and, um, you know, presence so often and peace so often, but that's the nature of being human. But considering, oh my God, like so much more freedom to choose where I want to be in the world, to choose what I want to do. I get to work on creative projects and inspiring things all the time. I run in a recovery um, program now called Emerge and I work with, I work with my people with people trying to get sober, people trying to, you know, rediscover themselves. It's, it's beautiful. I, yeah, create gatherings all over the world. I truly get to like find this community that, you know, I wanted so bad, this sense of belonging. I get to show up as I am. And like one thing that is, we forget is like, we can't show up inauthentically and ever belong. Like that's not how it works. So today I really get to be myself and find belonging. And that is invaluable. What would be your advice to someone that is deciding whether they should get sober? You know, someone might be listening to this right now and they're on the fence about if they can do it, should they get sober? Should they try? Maybe they've tried and it hasn't worked. What advice would you give to them? Oh, well, you know, on the fence... If you're on the fence, kind of depends on what you're on the fence about, I guess. See, I was always, I was not really on the fence often. I was pretty much on the other side of the fence. But one of my big things was that, like, what was I going to do with my life? Like, I was really under this idea that, like, I wasn't going to, I was going to be a shell of a person without it. Like, I had assigned so much power to it that life was going to be boring. I wasn't going to, like, feel passion or feel aliveness or excitement. And I guess the advice is, like, you don't know what you don't know. And you have to leave some room for possibility. Because you never know. It could be better than your wildest dreams. And, like, you just have to leave space for that. As soon as we like let go a little bit of our idea of the way that we are, the way that the world is, and decide to get curious and let a little bit of grace happen, it could be better than you ever imagined. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life. Recovered Life is a peer support network with direct access to top recovery coaches, content, community, and quality peer support meetings that can be accessed virtually. Whether you're pursuing a 12-step program, not involved in 12 steps, spiritual, agnostic, atheist, or just trying to figure it out, you're welcome here. Sign up today and access unlimited group meetings for only $19.99 a month. 
And because we know you'll love it, we're offering you your first 30 days for free. Don't wait. Visit recoveredlife.us and become a member today.